की मीठी साजना से होगी मन की बात रे होगी मन की बात रे गोरी गोरी चांदनी हो गोरी गोरी चांदनी Hey, that's, that's a bit of a concept piece, wasn't it? Yeah, like I think it was like after the whole convenience store woman thing with like the 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 Japanese ladies and stuff. I kind of, yeah, I could have done better. Um, but Elsie kind of messed it up, didn't she? There is no need to be so mean about her. Oh my god! <laughs> like you know, we don't need we don't need to go down that road. The point is, people, we. We are back. Oh, we absolutely are. Like, I mean, come on. Oh, yeah. Actually, no, before we start, can we just all agree that online classes are the devil? Yes, yes, I think we absolutely can. Ah, here, Katie, don't be such a little bitch. Like, how? How is that me being a little bitch, Chloe? Jesus. Katie, it's not that bad. Maybe for you, like, you can just remove to the West Wing if you want some peace and quiet. Like, <laughs> see, your mom is still earwigging, is she? Like, why would I want a cup of tea when she saw me make coffee like 10 minutes earlier? Like, how does that even work? Yeah, she's only loving you, Kay. Then why? Why the passive-aggressive hoovering outside my door, Sarah? Uh, the woman's not allowed to hoover her own carpet in her own home now, Katie. I mean, come on, seriously. Like, like the last time I checked, hoovering doesn't involve, like, whacking my bedroom door repeatedly with the thing. You know, like, the the, the, the wood thingy under the door. The saddleboard. 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 How do you guys know stuff like that? Like Country people be knowing stuff, Katie. It's just one of them things. Dude, Kay's from Galway, man. Yeah, but like, you just have like sheep like right outside. Like, you can see them from your house. Like, that's proper country. Like, Katie can walk to Supermax if she wants. That's true, I can. And what finer benchmark of urbanisation is there? <gasps> Clay, we're, we're, we're not allowed to make fun of Supermax, remember? We promised. I, I wasn't making fun. I was saying quite seriously that proximity to a Supermax is clearly the measure of how thick a metropolis you live in. Cabra is therefore 12% less metropolitan than the outskirts of Galway City. I totally worth it. I hope you're happy, Kay. This is what you've done. You've tried to kill Chloe. Like, no, I'm okay. I just wanted to say that like this saddleboard thingy doesn't have carpet on it, so I don't see why my mom has to hoover it and bash my door repeatedly while I'm trying to reconnect to a physics lecture. No, seriously, that is a fair point. Like, if my dad does not stop restarting the modem, I will not be held responsible for my actions. Like, seriously. Oh, is that why you kept dropping off Parrick's lecture yesterday? Yeah, like, I installed that timeout thing on daddy's phone so he can't get into that stupid casino app every second day um yeah yeah like he still thinks it's something wrong with the internet which is annoying I was kind of hoping that he'd have lost interest in like the whole online gambling thing by now what if he um what if he finds out it was you Clay he'll just get another app probably like he just bought more drink that time when I got rid of it like this is depressing here we're not going to talk about it anymore how's how's quarantine going Sarah oh man Jesus like how is that any less depressing to talk about I mean no, come but, on but like I can't get over how much of a prick Derek is though Sarah like for real that's my bro man what are you going to do what are you going to do does he really have to like catch up like daily with everyone that was at the party Sarah like my folks gave him a checklist and he fills it out with who he spoke to every day like they check it every night but like there's no way for them to know that he's actually done it but like he does like I've seen him do it like it's really weird he's this big man with his mates and stuff but like now he's all doing what mum and dad say when he's caught like I, I don't I don't get it like if he'd done what he was told from the start then I wouldn't be stuck in the house because he wouldn't have had that pro- I, I don't know it, it doesn't matter how, how are your folks handling work though Sarah they're not sleeping here they come in for an hour or two to like shout at D and check his checklist like and they're all like PPE'd and stuff um, and, and then they go back and sleep at the hospital like Shit. Yeah. Talking about this wasn't enough of a change of subject. It really, really was not. This is usually where Chloe would like monologue about BTS for a while. It is, but you know, we, we could talk about what this series is going to be about instead. Oh, that's how this is going to be. Well, I mean, there is there is an argument that, you know, a series about writers of colour could take into account fanfic about Korean boy bands. Uh, well, actually, I will have you know, okay, that almost all of my gorgeous fanfic writers are teenage Indian girls. So... Uh, but BTS fantasy fix is <gasps> Kate, I knew you were reading her fix. Oh my God. No, 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 no. You tagged me into that Yoongi fix. I tagged you into that Taeyong oh, fix, man. which means you went and read the Yoongi fix on your own because you love him. I can't believe it. No, no. Like, oh, man. 
on. And like, who could blame you, Katie? Yoongi and that thick be hot. Like, I mean, come on. So, so just to clarify, um, this is a different thick to the one from a couple of weeks ago that you got Katie oh. tagged in, where that gentleman um, who was very adept at finding areas of the female anatomy without looking, um, and, and that made sure that your name, who I assume in, in this case is Katie, naturally, <laughs> had had an excellent time. Well, 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 first off, thank you very much for that excellent summary, Lena. <laughs> well, I mean, like I said, I'm down for heterosexiness when, when it's done correctly. Like, yeah, and that was a good fic. That was, that was my girl, how's that kinks, I think? Nice. Like, nice. She's just your straight up banging girl, you know, and there's a lot to be said for that. I mean, no one's saying there isn't. <laughs> <laughs> but my girl, BTS fantasy fix, like she all about that story. About that story and explicit sex scenes. Uh, can can you send me a link? Oh, it's already in the group chat, fam. Jesus, Chloe, that was quick. Well, I care about you. That's all I'm saying. And you know, and you know, with our poor Kay, all sexually frustrated, seeing as how you know her one true love is all locked up in Korea right now. Oh, I hope Dave doesn't listen to the show, Kay. Oh. Oh, sh- what? No, like it's not anything. Man. Eclectic music society, Dave. Dave that decided he didn't want Anton to do with you after you got off with him that one time that Dave yeah that'd be him alright uh, thanks Clee we got it whoa it was Saoirse that said it what's going on I thought I like, was I not supposed to say anything no no I'm glad you did Saoirse because I think our little Miss Morphe over here might have neglected to tell me about this development because she knew exactly what I'd have to say about that particular person being back on the scene all kind he said he was sorry okay that girl he knew from school ended up like fucking him over too so like now he's said he like knows how it feels and stuff oh, oh well then well then I mean if he's between girlfriends of course it makes sense he'd be onto you for a quickie Katie I mean like then everything's grand what was I even worried about Chloe that's not fair isn't it he's only saying that after breaking up with that girl like that he actually wanted to be with and like he knows Katie's all like touristy for him and now he's back texting her like just cause she's his side chick or some shit this is not okay Katie but it's just texting right like that's like like I get that like yeah lockdown socks and everything like but like it's it's kind of the cool and horrible thing about this whole pandemic situation like it's it's not like anybody can get off with each other you know we're all just texting and keeping each other at arm's length like which is kind of cool if you're working stuff out right have anything you want to share there Clay? wow it's it's that tense you really want to change the subject that bad like yeah genuinely I'm really sorry you guys I didn't mean to I didn't know no 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 you know what no it's fine it's no whatever like they're Katie's boobs she can send as many photos of them to whoever she wants and you know in fairness that is the true feminist position on this exactly okay you hear that Katie you go take some nudes we'll wait (laughs) (laughs) so yeah okay Um, so like we were saying, yeah, we wanted to focus this series solely on writers of colour, given the, the global conversation about racism. And uh, yeah, it, it led us to look critically at, um, in all senses of the word, at our bookshelves. And then we found that we were sorely lacking in, in this, this area. So um, yeah, that's, that's what series four is going to be about. Um, so yeah, our, our first book is uh, The Tainted by uh, Coverdi Madhavan. I really don't know if I'm saying that right, but sort of. I've listened to a lot of YouTube uh, videos oh, with man. the name in there, so let's, let's see how we get on. Um, we can, we can do the author bio. I'm so sorry. Um, we can do the author bio now, um, actually, yeah, before we get into our whole origin story. Um, Sirsh, I'm eager to uh, to spread out um, this this uh, name usage. Uh, what, what do you think? <laughs> Thanks. I don't know. Um, but yes, okay. So, yeah. Um Kaveri Madhavan C. Ha was born in India and moved to Ireland 33 years ago, arriving on Valentine's Day and despite the Irish weather has been in love with the country ever since. Kaveri is the author of three books of fiction, Paddy Indian, The Uncoupling and The Tainted. She writes opinion pieces for the Irish Times and wrote a Saturday column for the Evening Herald for seven years. She has also contributed to the Sunday Tribune, The Phoenix and Travel Extra. She is currently working on her fourth novel. She lives with her husband and three children in County Kildare. Oh, she's so lovely. (laughs) (laughs) Can I do that? Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, So, yeah, you guys might remember, like, in our last series on Unusual Heroines, we covered um, Lucio's of War by Susan Lanigan. Um, So Susan invited us to her launch, which was, like, virtual, but, like, still awesome. And, like, when we were there, uh, we met Coverty. And and afterwards, when we were talking about this next series, she let us know that she had this novel out, which was just perfect. And and it was what we wanted to talk about. And it was, oh, it just just all kind of full 
fell into place and it was yeah I was super excited and, and exciting <laughs> and I'm, I'm gonna stop fangirling right now it's so cute oh my <laughs> you god you are so beyond so adorable oh my god <laughs> did you see the the recipes on our website that was oh, pretty cool like seriously I need those mushroom burgers in my actual life man oh yeah like how's the vegetarian thing like going not bad not bad not as bad as I thought <laughs> like I have developed quite the fondness for the humble chickpea nice you know you can save the water from cans of chickpeas and like substitute it for egg white in recipes and stuff why why would I be using egg white in anything Sersha you, you might you might be making meringues from scratch for for a pavlova I would enjoy a pavlova right about now Sarah if you are thinking of making one yeah I, I, I would be behind Chloe on that one um I, th- I think we need an excerpt from the book. Um, <laughs> so, so a lot of the book, um, it's said in India, obviously, but like we have a lot of Kildare people in the book. So, so Clee, as our, as our most obvious Kildare person, um, how would you feel about, uh, about doing this one? Most obvious Kildare? Is that, is that a compliment? <coughs> I, d- I don't know. <laughs> Um, but when you read it anyway, I suppose. But like, we'll have to talk about this later. I think we can just put it down to me being a self-hating culture and like just be done with it. Ah, uh, very good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, I suppose we should um, th- we should start with like the blurb thing, and then we can do the excerpt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. So uh, yes, detainted by Calvary Co- Madavan. Yeah, see, I can say it. Um, so. <laughs> It's spring 1920 in the small military town of Nandagiri in southeast India. Colonel Elmer, commander of the Royal Irish Kildare Rangers, is in charge. A distance away, decently hidden from view, lies the native part of Nandagiri with its heaving bazaar, reeking streets and brothels. Everyone in Nandagiri knows their place and the part that they were born to play, with one exception. The local Anglo-Indians, tainted by their mixed blood, belong nowhere. When news of the Black and Tans atrocities back in Ireland reaches the troops, even their priest cannot cool the men's hot-headed rage. Politics vie with passion as Private Michael Flaherty pays cart to Rose, Mrs. Aylmer's Anglo-Indian maid, but mutiny brings heroism and heartbreak in equal measure. Only the arrival of Colonel Aylmer's grandson Richard, some 60 years later, will set off the reckoning, when those who were parted will be reunited and those who were lost will be found again. Oh, I know. Um, so, uh, yeah, so we've got an excerpt. We've got like the, the first chapter, I suppose. Um, so, yeah, chapter one, uh, Nandagiri, January 1920. I know you're anxious to meet the fine eastern beauties of the Raja Bazaar Flaherty, but the first thing we've got to do is pay our respects to the dead. I tell you, lad, this is where your lessons about life in India should begin. Right here. Sergeant Tom Nolan of the Kildare Rangers crossed himself before lifting the latch at the entrance to the military cemetery. Private Michael Flaherty crunched down the broad gravel path, thankful for the shade provided by the majestic tamarind trees that dotted the acre and a half of the graveyard. He was startled when two natives rose suddenly from behind a large marble headstone, short curved sides in one hand, salaming obsequiously with the other. Don't you go encouraging them, Flaherty. They're waiting for a bakshish. That's what they're always after. Tom led them across the left-hand side of the graveyard. Look, here lies Pat Walsh. Young Pat came out to India in 1913 with the Kildare Rangers before the war. You knew him, didn't you? His ma worked for the Elmers up at the big house in Straffan. In fact, Colonel Elmer paid for his headstone and the lads and sea company. We had this angel especially ordered all the way from the monument wallers in Madras. Fine looking thing, isn't it? The big man sighed. Three weeks was all that lad knew in India, he said somberly. It was the dysentery that took him, wasn't it? Aye, shot himself to death, he did. That's as Irish a phrase as they're going to get in this. But uh, yeah, <laughs> there's a lot more. Like um, That's all I'm saying. I should keep reading, sorry. Um, Sergeant Nolan was running his fingers along the inscription on an elaborate stone cross. Did you know we lost 27 men to cholera when the regiment was first posted here back in 1913? Good men all. And lucky too, I'd say. Lucky? Michael followed the sergeant along a road of older tombs, watching him flicking out the fallen leaves from the crevices and the sculpted headstones with the tip of his cane. Jesus, lad, I'll tell you why they were lucky. Because they died in hospital, dosed with opium and Father Jerome by their bedside. Think about it. A year or two later and they could have been rotten in the sludge of some rat-infested trench in France, gassed and dead with no absolution. Which would you prefer? I don't plan to die anywhere but at home, Tom. 
Ah, cocky as always. Look around, Flaherty. There are many ways to die in India. If the heat doesn't kill you, it could be cholera or consumption. And if you keep doors at bay, you might go to your maker from the bite of a mosquito, a dog, or quicker still, a snake. And then there's the worst of all, the venereal. Jesus, I wouldn't wish it on me worst enemy. When Tom began to go into the details of soldiers slowly going mad in the sanatorium in Dolali, 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 doesn't matter. Um, the, I wonder if that where that phrase comes from, Dolali. Anyway, that's not what we're here to talk about. Um, the younger man wished they would just leave and head for the bazaar as promised. The orderly rows of headstones and the sergeant's commentary had brought back the misery of the three-week voyage from Plymouth in England to Bombay when, in the few respites from severe seasickness, Michael had to endure stories of death and dying from seasoned India hands with a relish for morbid details. All right, Flaherty, stop your moping. Sergeant Nolan slapped him on the shoulder. The bazaar it is. We'll head on to Mumtaz Bibi's in Blacktown. Her girls are clean and I swear none of them smell of Condi's fluid like the girls from the rag. He lowered his voice. Truth be told, lad, I can never bloody get it up in the rag. Oh, holy hand of Jesus. <laughs> Could anyone blame me? There are 30 horrors working there and 600 of us, including the Fusiliers and the two companies of Welsh lads up from the plains. The girls do a brisk trade so you can't take your time when there are others waiting outside getting impatient. I don't remember that being as bad when I read it the first time. Okay, um, anyway. Michael wondered what his mother would have thought should she have overheard this conversation. I wonder too, Michael. Um, but the sergeant was continuing. God awful place it is for sure. I've seen the Welsh and the Fusiliers get into fights while waiting their turn. The military police don't like to see any trouble in the rag. They double march you to the guard room in no time at all. No ifs and buts. There are plenty of do-gooders that want the place closed, but where the hell would that leave the likes of us poor soldiers? Sure, it's a well-known fact that abstinence in the tropics can do you a terrible harm. By now, Michael was thoroughly put off. I haven't too much money, Tom, he tried. Go on with you, you miser. You've a week's pay up in your pocket, so that's enough to keep you shagged up till kingdom come. Half an hour later, they were in Blacktown, Nandagiri's native quarter, making their way through the filthy laneways. In Raja Bazaar, the main market, Michael lingered in front of a stall selling birds of all kinds and was captivated by a large green parrot. Within minutes he had parted with one rupee, having been repeatedly assured by the fast-talking proprietor of the stall, a giant of a patan, that he had secured a bargain. A while after, Michael had been followed by a ragged crowd of children who shrieked with laughter as the bird squawked abuse from its cage. They grew bolder by the minute, taunting the parrot with whistles and loud screeches until Tom Nolan turned on them suddenly and let out an almighty roar, clipping a few ears into the bargain. Flaherty, you've bought yourself trouble, he said sternly. Dogs and monkeys are a nuisance, but at least they can't speak. I put manners on him, Tom. You can see he's intelligent. The older man responded with a loud snort just as they halted in front of a two-storey house. So, uh, we're going to we're going to pause for a moment right now because the next scene is is uh, is in the brothel, um, and despite Katie's enjoyment of of scenes that take place in places like that, yeah, skip forward. It's not fair, man. <laughs> we're going to skip forward to when Michael um, leaves said brothel and goes back to Kildare Avenue. Um, which is in the white part of town. Um, and yeah, and what happens there? So, <laughs> all right. Michael walked up and onto the Bund, an earthen dam that enclosed the lake from east to west. The Bund, which was about 20 feet high, had been built 80 years earlier to blot out any views of Blacktown from Kildare Avenue and its pretty lakeside bandstand. The Bund was out of bounds to all natives and animals from Blacktown. Their only access to Nadigiri was a circuitous route, that's hard to say, around the western shore that brought them into town via the civil lines. The semicircular bond came to an abrupt end on either side of the gardens that surrounded the bandstand, with steep steps leading down to the large expanse of manicured lawns and flower beds. Michael jogged down the steps, hoping that he hadn't been spotted coming from Blacktown, since soldiers were not permitted to go there. Tom Nolan had a well-founded theory that neither the military police nor the officers would be out and about on Kildare Avenue much before 4.30 in the afternoon. No better time to head to Mumtaz Bibi's so we can get shagged and be back in time for tea. Michael followed a gravel footpath through pergolas weighed down with rambling roses and jasmine and past neat borders of dahlias, cannas and carnations. He couldn't take a shortcut over the grass for the lawns themselves were out of bounds to soldiers in the ranks. Passing through the ornate gates of the park, he stood for a moment in the shadow of a bronze enthroned Queen Victoria and resting the parrot's cage on the stone plinth at the base of the statue, he surveyed the length of Kildare Avenue before him. 
the wide cobbled street ran in a straight line all the way up to St Andrew's Church where it branched out in three directions one of which he knew led to the military cantonment shit (laughs) a mile away it was only three weeks ago on their arrival via train from Madras that the regiment had paraded smartly up Kildare Avenue to cheers and cries of welcome from British civilians who had paused along both sides of the street ordering their tongas to stop coming out of shops clapping as the soldiers had marched past heading towards the regimental barracks now, as Michael set off up the street, he could see the bishties. Bishties. I really should have. Yeah. Anyway, I didn't know I was going to be reading. Um, weighed down with their goat's bladder water carriers slung on their backs, watering the cobbles around the church before working their way down the gardens at Lake Victoria. The sweet scent of fresh wet earth filled the air and Michael breathed it in deeply, knowing that it would last but a minute or two. Coolies and jampan bearers called out to him as he walked by, offering to carry the parrot or take him back to the barracks in the comfort of a jampan, a type of sedan chair. Michael lingled at the elaborate window display of the Empire Medical Hall. He knew that Tom had intended to stop by this well-known establishment to stock up on remedies, which he claimed were far superior to the ones supplied by the regimental doctor. Bottles of pink calmine lotion and milk of magnesia were arranged in precarious pyramids, ringed by a fine selection of eau de colognes and talcum powders. Rows of tinctures, syrups and bombs accompanied the remaining space. Occupied the remaining space. It accompanies it as well, but mostly occupies it. As he marvelled at the variety, Michael spotted the stylish facade of the Emerald Tea Room across the street and crossed over, confident that if he entered and sat at a table overlooking Kildare Avenue, he could wait in cool comfort for Tom to show up. Tom to show up. He's the person that he's waiting for. Um, a haughty head waiter, Tom is still at the brothel, just so that we're clear. Tom is Michael's commanding officer and is banging at the brothel. Michael has left. Uh, yeah, this is what we're talking about here. Um, a haughty head waiter walked up to Michael just as he put the parrot down by the windowsill under the fronds of a giant potted palm. The tables are reserved, sir, for officers and their wives, he said stiffly. Please follow me. We've another section. It's fine, Victor. This gentleman is with me and there's no one else here yet. Michael, come along here, lad. Father Jerome, I never saw you when I walked in. Fancy meeting you here. This is one temptation I can't resist, the priest informed him. They have the best fruitcake in India, I reckon, and their jam sponge is as good as you'd get in Dublin. Sit down, sit down. Tom ordered tea and the waiter, his lips compressed in defeat, agreed to return with the cake trolley. Father Jerome leant over the table and lowered his voice. Pay no attention to his manner, Michael. These Anglo-Indians all have a chip on their shoulder. They've mixed blood, you see, and are highly complexed as a result. I see you've bought yourself a parrot. Native birds are fierce rude, don't you know? Here, take a napkin and throw it over the cage. It won't look good if the regimental chaplain is caught fraternising with a foul-mouthed creature, will it? Now tell me, lad, how are you settling in? I've my name down for the signaller's course, father, but it'll be many weeks before we know who's been selected to go to Madras. As for everything else, the rations aren't too bad and a man can afford to buy a roast chicken if he wants to and bread and butter are cheap. I thought the bacon was grand till that route march to Oti. Did you hear about it, father? Young Captain Milne turned green. Lardy was sick as a dog. We were crossing the river for it. We were crossing the river at the fort at Paikara, there we go, and saw a herd of filthy pigs on the bank, their snouts buried in whatever they were eating. It was only when we got closer that we realised it was a body, a human one. Sergeant Nolan said the natives let their dead off in rivers. Apparently river waters are considered holy or something. I tell you, father, I haven't touched bacon since. Indeed, it's a strange religion, Michael. It has the natives in a vice-like grip that even dying can't release, for they believe in reincarnation. Father Jerome slurped his tea, adding casually, I could do it a little help on Sundays, you know, in the half hour before I serve Mass. It would get you off duty for an hour or so if you volunteered. You'd do a fine job, Michael, and your mother, God bless her, she'd be proud of you. Michael was grateful that the waiter timed his return at that precise moment, followed by a flamboyantly turbaned Indian bearer pushing the three-tiered cake trolley. Although he liked the regimental chaplain, he was a bit taken aback by the suggestion and wasn't quite sure how to respond. There were many others in the regiment who could be described as God-fearing Catholics, far more committed than him, and the slagging he'd get ought to be painful. Why would he be crucified? Sorry, why he would be crucified in the barracks every Sunday? Then he had a desperate thought. I could get out of it by telling Father Jerome where I was barely an hour ago. Let's see if he still wants a sinner like me ironing the vestments and polishing the silver for mass. Father Jerome was looking at him genially. Try to sponge or even one of these cream bonds. The jam with them is particularly delicious. I'll have that slice of custard pie. Michael pointed out the confection to the waiter. 
No sooner had he ignored Father Jerome's recommendation and declared his choice than Michael felt churlish. Cream bombs were actually his favourite and the last time he'd eaten one was on the troop ship when it had docked in Aden on the voyage out to India. But he felt sudden resentment at having been put under unfair pressure for he couldn't possibly refuse the priest's request to volunteer, could he? And anyway, why did Father Jerome have to mention his mother? Good choice, Michael, lad. The pie is in fact excellent. Michael cut into the edge of the pie and it crumbled softly. Perhaps it was a good thing, he thought, as he savoured the taste of smooth vanilla custard, that he had shown a degree of contrariness. Maybe he could dissuade Father Jerome from pursuing the matter of Sunday Mass. So, what did you think of Blacktown then? The priest asked unexpectedly. Did you buy the part there? Raja Bazaar holds enticements of all sorts, eh, Michael? The young man wiped his mouth with the back of his hand. So, this was what the more experienced soldiers had implied when they said this priest always managed to wheedle things out of people. Father Jerome was going to get him to admit to being at the brothel, in the bazaar and out of bounds, all in one go, without so much as making an accusation. Yes, I bought the parish for one rupee, Father. Sergeant Nolan's think I bought... Sergeant Nolan thinks I bought myself trouble. Ah, so Tom gave you the tour, did he? I should have known. You both go back a long way, I believe. Your fathers are both gillies up at the Elmer House in Straffen. Yes, and my sister, my eldest sister, Bridget, was to marry Tom, but she drowned the year I turned ten. It was a dreadful thing altogether. My, my dad reckoned it was one of the biggest funerals our clock had ever seen. The Elmers even came down from the big house, though not into the church, of course. You see, father, she was the nursery maid and a big favourite with the children. Michael stirred his tea and tried not to picture his sister's face, but all he could really remember was her cheery disposition. Her scapular lay rough against his chest, calling him a good, causing him a good deal of discomfort in the heat, but he wore it stoically because, though he had hesitated at first when his mother had asked him to wear it, in the few short months since he had left home, he became convinced of its efficacy in keeping him safe from harm's way. Often he'd wondered how the very same scapular had left Bridget to struggle in vain to disentangle herself from the reeds at the bottom of the canal, but somehow had managed to save him. The first time at Plymouth from being kicked in the head by Colonel Elmer's charger when it broke loose below decks on the troop ship. And the second time, barely a few days ago, when a sudden sharp sag in the mosquito net above his bed had alerted him to the fact that a snake had fallen from the rafters in the high ceiling and lay hissing, burying a few feet away, directly above his face. The Punka Wallace had managed to kill the young cobra and having cornered it in the latrines after a quarter of an hour of high drama. But Michael had no doubt that Bridget Scapular had saved him. Michael sighed and looked out at Kildare Avenue. Surely Tom Nolan would have finished at Mumps's BBs by now. If he turned up at the pharmacy across the road at this very moment, Michael could make his excuses and leave before Father Jerome steered the conversation back to helping at Mass. The priest dabbed his lips and then bro with the napkin. A heavy cross to bear it is, the death of a child. How difficult to believe such a thing could be the will of God. And yet a cross couldn't be born without his help. Michael looked away quickly. Any talk of heavy crosses brought back the wretched sight of his mother. Crippled by the weight of her grief, it had slowly and surely crushed her spirit. He knew what Father Jerome was going to do next. It was what most people did when they were powerless. They prayed. For weeks after Bridget drowned, the whole family had prayed constantly for her. And through it all, and ever since, Michael had often wondered why they had bothered petitioning for her soul when she was so obviously in heaven. For where else could his sweet and beautiful sister have gone? To Michael's surprise, Father Jerome said nothing, but scraped back his rotten chair and looked up instead. He smoothed down his hair, which sprang up as Carson unruly as before. I must head into that fine establishment across the street, the Empire, he said. They have something for everything, and as you can see, my hair needs subduing. He turned towards the head waiter who was striding across the room, solar tuppy and cane in hand. Ah, Victor, you've everything ready. Now be sure you put Private Flaherty's tea on my chit, good man. Michael stood up. That's decent of you, Father Jerome, but I have money. We were paid yesterday. No need for any of that, Michael. I'll be seeing you before Mass tomorrow. An hour ahead should do. The priest jammed a solar toppy on his head and marched off briskly without waiting for a supply. A reply. Or a supply of a reply. We, let's not get into that. Um, Michael flopped back into his chair and groaned in disbelief. He had just sold himself for a custard pie. No jig-jig, but plenty of pie. Was this what the mysterious East had in store for him? The turbaned bearer began to clear the table while the head waiter hovered impatiently. I bet that bloody Anglo-Indian would like to clear me out of this room as well, thought Michael as he got up and headed for the palm by the window. The part squawked as the napkin was lifted up and when Michael turned, cage in hand, the man was waiting, solar toffee at the ready. Out on Kildare Avenue, Michael scanned the now crowded street, wondering if he would be better off forgetting about Tom and making his way back to the barracks on his own. 
They would anyhow have had to present separately at the guard room in the same fashion they had left for, strictly speaking, Tom Nolan, as a non-commissioned officer, was forbidden from fraternising with a private. As he tried to make a decision, a Tongawala pulled up just outside the Emerald where Michael was standing. The vehicle heaved as the passengers alighted and Michael found himself face to face with his commanding officer, Colonel Elmer. Okay, sorry, Colonel Elmer is his commanding officer. I made that mistake. I apologise, everyone. Uh, Instinctively standing to attention, he saluted smartly. At ease, Private Flaherty, the Colonel returned the salute and turned to help his wife down, his two small children and their ayah following in small nervous squeals as the tonga rocked from back back to front. The children stared at the parrot and Michael froze, fearing what was to come. Mother, look, a parrot. You did promise we'd have one as soon as we got to India. Colonel Aylmer's son was a delicate looking boy and his eyes were wide with excitement. I prefer a monkey. This little, the little girl made a face at Michael. The parrot shifted on his perch and squawked loudly and the children were delighted. Oh, look, does he talk? Oh, do make him talk. Now you go in with Aya and make sure Victor has the table under the punka for us. Colonel Aylmer waved the Aya on. Mrs. Aylmer, who was adjusting her hat, who had just which had just gotten dislodged as she stepped out of the tonga, smiled and shooed the children ahead of her into the Emerald Tea Room. Colonel Aylmer watched them disappear into the building. I see you've applied for the signaler's course, Flaherty. Good, very good. But it could be a while before you know how many from the regiment will go to Madras. I've been thinking. You might take on duties as my Batman in the meantime. Sir, yes, sir. Have you heard from the family? Your father, old Donny, he's well, I hope. I believe it's been bitterly cold for spring at home. The lower lake in the east woods was frozen over for days. Sir, they're well, sir. I had a letter waiting when we docked in Madras, sir. That's good. I'll speak to Captain Mill and you can start with me straight away. Sir, yes, sir. Michael came to attention and saluted. And as if on cue, the, pa- the parrot fluttered around in the cage and squawked, So are Kabaka, which I believe is, is quite a rude thing to say and not something that you would say in polite conversation. Native birds have no manners, Flaherty. Mrs. Aylmer will have none of that in our house. With that, Colonel Aylmer strode into the Emerald Tea Room to join his family. Oh, that was longer than I intended. My back was very sore. Okay, I must stop now. <laughs> that was really good, Clay. You're a hero. You're a hero. Um, but you know what? Let's. <laughs> this is as good a point as I need to take a break. So let's let's take a quick break, and uh, we'll be back in a minute uh, with more uh, chiclet for life. Listening to WAP for the fifth time today. Using words like finna in sentences like it's, you know, a real word. No idea who Brockhampton are. Congratulations, you're contributing to the demise of modern music. But fret not. Curatify is here to revamp your playlists and swap out your BTS for Beastie Boys, Rihanna for Radiohead, ASAP Rocky for Aphex Twin. Stick with us and you'll be able to understand Zane Lowe's playlists in no time. Curatify. We're just better than you. Replace your BTS? Okay, 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 okay. We, we, we should not be talking about this. <laughs> You're just going to get too upset. That is, that is a good point. That is a good point, Sarah. What what should I think about instead? Because right now I think I'm going to go out and kneecap them lads. Oh, we, could, we could talk about the amazing, um, super long excerpt that Kleena read just before the break. It seems so much shorter when we were talking about it yesterday. Yeah, like I genuinely like it, did we have a time machine yesterday i'm no, so but confused no but but no it, you think While, it's okay to just so let's just <laughs> let's just get out there let's just get out there okay talk across so, like that did <laughs> you Jesus Christ, man. okay did you notice it's like when you were reading the book okay that like you didn't realize that you were actually super racist about indian people you are like genuinely a bad person, man. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I do know what you mean, Chloe. Thank you, Clina. I, I don't know that that's something you should be that grateful about, man. You know, I heard myself say it, and then I thought that straight away after. Y- yeah, yeah. Y- you know what? With racism being like super bad and everything. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I mean. I think. But like, no, I do understand what you were saying, Chloe. Like. Sort of, it's hard to, it just sort of seems like racism against Asian people seems like the last socially acceptable form of like prejudice, like where you can like tell jokes and like do impressions and stuff. Oh my God, no, it's 
horrible. It, it's the country, man. It's 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 how we do down here. I don't know if it's just a country thing, though. Like, I thought it was okay for me to do that Indian head movement thing until Katie shouted at me that time. Oh, my God. I completely forgot about that. I really did think you were going to slap Chloe that day, Kay. Like, seriously. If it was going to happen, like, that was the day. And, like, I mean, after reading this book, yeah, I can't, like, I get it. And, like, I, I genuinely don't know why it is. Like, it's not like Indian people have gone through less suffering than other oppressed people like yeah and like what I thought was super interesting is that like India is a post-colonial country like post-British colonization and everything like it has so much in common with Ireland in like its move to independence and everything I don't understand why we don't feel a solidarity with India it's really strange Catholicism isn't that isn't that Katie's lion? <laughs> oh, ha, ha. <laughs> no, like, seriously, it is that simple, I think. Anyway, like, the fact that India is, like, predominantly Hindu means that people in Ireland, like the church, anyway, has seen Indian people as heathen, I think. Multiple gods, vegetarian food, dancing. <laughs> no. <laughs> like, someone opened a yoga studio back when I was in school and there were rosary groups. People saying the rosary set up, like, to banish the heathens they said that the instructors were like channeling evil spirits in a yoga class are evil spirits not like a bit of a pagan thing well i mean that's the kind of comment that would uh, earn a girl easily a week's detention um i speak from experience but yes absolutely (laughs) (laughs) why is this country so weird man it's mental like this i'm not in the least bit sectarian okay wow i should have brought my things i never thought we'd say on this show bingo card Oh, come on. I thought that was a solid joke. <laughs> like it was, but like I think there's something about the idea of you playing bingo, Sersha, that made it like harder to, to grasp. Yes, Kleena. <laughs> yes. Okay, okay, okay. Gratefully noted. I mean, I'm always glad when we can workshop material live on air. Well, I mean, we don't get to see each other no more, Sarah. So, I mean, how else is Sersha going to get her, you know, her tight 15 down? How is it possible for you to make a tight 15 minutes for an open mic night sound like a sex act. It's a skill. I'm not going to lie. Get it on CV there, Chloe. I mean, I don't see how you have a choice. I know, right? But anyway, um, okay. Back to my sectarian brain chip being activated. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, it turns out that I knew absolutely nothing about India's time under British rule or, like, how they gained independence or, like, anything. Yeah, me either. Like, and I felt really bad about it because, like, you're supposed to know about Mahatma Gandhi and, like... I don't. Oh, thank Christ. I thought it was just me. What, like, you guys haven't even watched the movie or anything? We will, Kay, Doesn't we promise. Ben Kingsley play Gandhi, though? Him? He's an actor, like an English actor, like a white English actor. No, 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 I looked this up. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? His dad was Indian. I looked it up, man. <laughs> okay. Okay. Oh, no, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> So, so Gandhi gets a pass. Okay, Gandhi the movie. Gandhi the person, obviously, but Gandhi the movie gets a pass. But um, yeah, no, no, no. Like reading about like the history of British rule in India, like even just on Wikipedia, like it was it was pretty real. Yeah, man. like between the whole like stamping out local culture and kind of pitting native people against each other. Like Ireland was kind of too small for the British to do that but like seeing native people as savages to be like controlled and ruled over and civilized for their own good you know like that's all a bit close to the bone yeah yeah and like and then things like the Jallianwala bag I'm saying that absolutely like completely wrong but it it was this massacre like all just a little bit too similar to mass killings in Ireland but like why don't we know about it? Like, why don't we feel a sense of, like, kinship with Indian people when we're both dealing with that type of aftermath and they're dealing with it just by nature of the amount of people just on a way bigger scale? I, I don't get Catholicism, it. Catholicism, man. That's, that's it. Like, I don't, I don't know. Well, well, I mean, I do know. Like, Catholicism is definitely a big part of it. But, like, there's all the, like, othering we do with people that are different you know like straight out of the gate in that excerpt like uh, with the sexualization of like Indian women like exotic beauties you know and then like almost directly because of that Michael is like really disappointed and like repulsed by the reality of the situation and and like and it's cruel because these women are people they don't have anything to do with the fairy tales that like he bought into that's that's on him that the fairy tales that we buy into thinking of these other places and other people and then we're faced with the reality of them that's that's on us it's nothing to do with these people that are just there living their lives 
Yeah, yeah. Like, I had a very woke uh, realization when I was reading the book. Like, I mean, you know the way, like, Aladdin is, like, my actual dream man. But, like, if I got a Tinder response from someone called Aladdin, like, dressed like that, like, I'm not going to have a nice response to him. I'm going to be like, where's your shirt? (laughs) (laughs) Like, oh, Sarah, make it stop. Talk about like the other. Oh my god, God, that's amazing. Maybe if we talk about the other elements of the book or something. Yeah, yeah. Like (laughs) it, it was super immersive. This book was like really, really immersive. Like you're, you're there when you're reading it. You know, like and that had me. I don't know, wanting to like fill in all my blind spots. You know, like I've never made more notes on stuff and like wanted to look up more after like reading any book before. Yeah, we all saw your uh, your Insta story search. And like for the record, you you have very nice oh, so hands. They just came out like so weird in that photo. Hand dysmorphia. Yeah. Like, should we be getting down into this level of detail on like Saoirse's Insta story during the week? I genuinely don't know. Well, like, I mean, we could, and this is just an idea, but I mean, we could talk about like the main characters and stuff. You're a maverick, Flannery, and that's why I like you. Let's let's go. Let's go with Saoirse's idea, you guys. Main characters. Do it. Well, like, we should sort of talk about the whole Anglo-Indian idea first, right? Yeah, yeah, that was that was pretty interesting. Well, you know, why don't you take us through it there, Kay? Uh, uh, yeah, okay. Um, so, like, yeah, like, it, like it, it, everyone's going to be just so glad they tuned in for this. <laughs> So like yeah okay um so yeah like obviously like we heard about it a little bit in the in the excerpt before so like obviously there were like relationships between like British soldiers and like Indian women right so like the thing is there were clearly like children born out of those relationships and like what happened to them like it's a weird one because you'd think that mixed race kids would be considered like lower class or whatever than like full Indian or full white people and like well that was like definitely the case like no one's gonna want a mixed race person to be like part of their family or like marry them or anything but like with mixed race folks having like white ancestry that's hard to say um do they then have like a sense of superiority in that they're at least in part a member of the ruling class it's like super messed up yeah but like rose isn't um like part of the ruling class like we should we should introduce rose properly so michael is an irish soldier that's been posted to india by the ruling british during the british raj we kind of yeah we get that from the the excerpt earlier but so like michael's obviously irish he's from like strathen um but he's part of the white folks part of town like we like we heard he's he's in the barracks in um uh, off kildare avenue and so like we can also like see his like proper out and out revulsion, like you said, Serge, at the brothel in Blacktown. He like he sees himself as part of yeah the the white people, because um, because he is. Um, but like then we have Rose Toomey. So her dad is like a merchant type person. He owns this like piggery and he like sells bacon and other deliciousness to to folks in in the town yeah the bacon walla is that he's called that's what he's called right you read the book too man yeah no i meant am i saying it right smart arse oh yeah that that does make more sense (laughs) but yeah yeah rose's dad is irish but her mom is indian she's like super light-skinned so she can pass for white and she's like fanatical about staying out of the sun so she can like stay yeah and like she looks down on like native indians the way like a white person would which was Pretty unnerving. Denial, innit? And like then we're whoring on Mike. Whoa, whoa, jumping the gun there, Chloe. What? No, no. It's in the blurb of the book. Michael's after Rose. But like, how's it gonna work because she's mixed race? Like, am I having a stroke? Like, that's that's what it says, innit? No, actually, yeah, you're right. My bad. Carry on. <laughs> Did you sort of think that Rose might have only been interested in Michael though because he's Irish? That was gonna be my point. Give me my soundboy back, you- Tina. That's so embarrassing, man. I just can't. I can't with you. <laughs> like, it was, it, it was, it was sad to, to you know, hear Rose talking about, like, going back to Ireland like it was this certainty. Yeah, and, like, even her saying that she was going back to Ireland, like, she'd never been yeah, there. Yeah, that was pretty rough, all right. Thing is, though, like, all that denial and stuff and how, like, hard the cast and, and class lines were, it, it made it so that, like in the writing like all this dramatic stuff because the, the the love story between Michael and Rose it is really dramatic but because of when it's set and everything that's going on around them like the, that 
level of drama like really worked yeah yeah like it never felt like overdone or soap opera or anything like anytime Michael was like freaking out about like what he was going to do about like himself and Rose because like he really does love her like and like there was always this feeling of of them being pushed to the edge by the situation. They weren't being overdramatic. They were genuinely in the wrong place at the wrong oh, time. Oh, Dr. Swami. Oh. Okay, no, no. Like, he is definitely the bloke in this book that, like, 100% smelled amazing. Oh, my yes. gosh, yes. Oh, that, that scene was so romantic. But, like, again, not overdone. Like, because, yeah, I think Rose and Michael, they're both, like, so flawed. And, like, they're wrong about, like, so many things. Yeah, yeah. Like, again, I think that would have been really hard to swallow if it had been like more idealized but the way it's written it was like really like real or something yeah like did you just notice that anytime anything really bad happens or like something that the characters are like ashamed of or whatever they don't ever like talk about it like directly or nothing yes 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 yes, yes. oh my god and like like again that's that's not something that's like never been done before or anything but like it was just done so well here it's it's and there was like oh I thought there were so many like great reveals like like key details left out when like you're reading about something the first time and like maybe there's a name drop somewhere or someone's holding something and you're like oh my god I've seen that before or I've heard that before and you start like putting the pieces together yourself before you like get it confirmed in like a flashback or or an explanation or whatever that's another thing man like flashbacks usually like piss me off so much but here there was like I don't know like enough suspense built up or something like by the time it got to when a flashback was going to happen I was so damn thirsty for it that like I would have jumped into bed with anybody that was going to fill me on, in on like what happened you are going to say something else there Katie Morphy no no I wasn't mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. I am going to have to cut off your sexy fanfic supply if this is the way you are going to carry on young lady okay that's all I'm <laughs> going to say <laughs> but here are we going to talk about me girl May or what's the story oh, oh my god yeah, major major crushes on May to me here at Chicklet for Life Terrors so yeah for so in the the first um, section of the book takes place from 1920 to 1945 we've already met the, the players from that but then the second half of the book takes place in 1982 so we're introduced to this this pretty high ranking civil servant um, Mohan um, who is expecting a guy to come stay with him one Richard Aylmer whose grandfather was the Colonel Aylmer we met in our excerpt um, a moment ago um, in 1920. So Richard is sent here in 1982 to work on a photography project. His grandfather had done lots of landscape paintings when he was stationed in India and Richard wants to photograph the same views and display them together. Super nice, right? So Mohan enlists one Jerry Toomey. Like I'm not even lying. I like nearly fell out of my chair when I read his name. Did did you actually fall out of your chair, Chloe? You can tell us. Like you are a chair faller, Chloe. Well, like technically, I was sitting on the floor already, but. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> yeah, okay. Jerry's Jerry Toomey is he's a conservationist working um, in the area. He's a, he's a forestry officer. Does that, does that sound like, right? dude? Like it's so bad. Like I can't remember because I was like legitimately barreling through the book at that stage. Like oh my god, me too. Like I needed to know what was going to happen next. Like that conservation thing was kind of interesting, though. I thought. Oh yeah, yeah. Like with the whole independence thing, like Indian people are obviously like sick of like British people erasing their culture or whatever but then like by the time we get to the 80s the country is like covering the place in tea plantations and like factories and all and like everything's getting erased anyway and then like you've got Jerry in the middle of all of it who's like Anglo-Indian so like not Indian from everybody else's point of view and like he's the one that's all talking to local tribes and like fighting people to keep things the way they are and like conserving the area the way it is what? No, that was, it was just like really insightful. What are you saying, Katie Murphy? Are you saying I'm not insightful? Is that what you're saying? Are you saying I'm thick? Is that what you're saying, Katie Murphy? How dare you? No, like I agree with you is what I'm saying. Like I, like I, yeah, I thought all that stuff was interesting. I thought it was interesting that May as well had to wear a sari to school as a teacher. Are you... Are you are you trying to move the conversation along a little quickly here? Okay, yeah, I like I don't think we've heard enough from Chloe on this. <laughs> exactly, Clean. I have plenty to say to you on this, Katie Morphy. You're not getting no, it's always you dare you talk to me like on the t- I just, I just want to talk about the book, man. 
I think Kay's going to have to tell us about her like favourite sexy fanfic scene so that we can like properly move on. Oh, now that is interesting, Saoirse. I do think something like that would be helpful in me moving on from this particular offence that has happened right here, right now. What? There's only way to move this conversation along, Kay. Every minute you don't tell us about your favourite sex scene in that last Jungi fic you read. I mean, the more book time you're stealing from our listeners. It's really very selfish of you, Kay. You're gay, man. Why would you even want to hear about this? <gasps> oh my God, Katie, I can't believe you are shaming Klina for her sexuality right now. Oh my God. Shocking. Oh my God. Katie, my God. I'm hurt by him. <laughs> Like, oh, fine. There's this one scene in like his recording. <gasps> oh my god! I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you probably thought it was like the consent bit that was like the best part, though. It was, man. <laughs> sexy consent is the sexiest part of sexy fix, man. Okay, Jesus. I, I, I really need that link now. Um, do you guys? Do you guys need me for the rest no of the show? No one is leaving early to read porn, lads. Come on, we've got like 10 minutes left. Let's try to be professional. <laughs> it's chapter five, Saoirse. How, how did you know that? Ah, here, Katie, I like, <laughs> guess that, that you have a problem, man. Like, it, this is not okay. <laughs> can, we, can, we, can we please talk about the book again? That would, that would be nice. Like, like, seriously, please, can we? We haven't talked much about the whole sitar guitar girl situation. I'd have thought you'd have been all over that, kid. Oh, my actual God. I wanted to punch Mohan in the face with his whole, like, manic pixie dream girl. Oh, my God. Idiocy. I just, I just can't. <laughs> do you want to redeem yourself by taking us through the whole manic pixie dream girl situation again Kay? oh with gusto man so like yeah the manic pixie dream girl is like this new archetype that like yeah simply put she's every female lead in every independent romantic american movie from like 2002 to 2012 she's she's just not like other girls you know yeah and like other guys just don't get how hot she is but like everyone's attracted yeah, to her and like the hottest thing about her i mean aside from the fact that she's like illustrating her own graphic novel while recording her own album on analog equipment alone in her bedroom is is the fact that she just like doesn't give a shit about like what anyone thinks though like in fairness that's probably a result of her tragic backstory and like after the nerdy male lead fixes her entire life with his presence like will she be as interesting like what with her newfound happiness and everything like that's when the movie ends so like there's there's no real way to know curses (laughs) excellent use of curses man (sighs) I I thought so yous are so (laughs) weird like The sitar guitar girl isn't quite like that, though. Like, in fairness, like, she she does seem to be a super superficial, like, construct in Mohan's mind, the same way that the Manic Pixie Dream Girl Yeah, and, like, I think that might be the thing that, like, annoyed me about it and, like, kind of was the the connection, I guess. Like, and, like, what annoyed me about his preoccupation with May, like, he seems to, like, like her because she's this cocktail of, like, what he likes about European culture and what he likes about Indian culture, like, all wrapped up in this charmingly naive, unconcerned, like, lady package. Like, she was class, though. I mean, like, I would. Well, like, yeah, I mean, it would be rude not to, but, like, but, like because she's a person, not because she's some, like, idealised version of the perfect girl you have. Yeah, that's true. I want to bang May from May. Yeah, like, get in line, Chloe. I, I don't remember you getting first dibs, okay? But, anyway, uh, pistols at dawn. But, um, speaking of pistols at dawn, like, I kind of would have liked Hor and Richard to, like, have had it out properly over the fact that, like, Rose was, like, a maid for his grandmother and, like should have been like treated better than she was like checking for spoilers checking checking okay that's clean nice work Chloe right I was practicing that I was <laughs> I know like I I kind of thought it was super real for them to like kind of dance around that and not really like engage with it I thought it was super kind of interesting to see Richard like grapple with the idea of mixed race people being treated badly by his ancestors when they were then in the same position as Anglo-Indian people in India when they as Protestants went back to Ireland after independence yeah that was that was very strange to read yes Yes, feeling sorry for Protestants was super weird. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'd, I'd never come across that idea before. Like, maybe I was thinking when I was reading it, like, maybe it takes someone, like, not brought up in Ireland to make that point, kind of. Like, yeah, someone who isn't brought up, like, 
pointing at the big house in the village like that's the Protestant landowner house oh my actual god like one of the guys I met in the Gaeltacht one year like would not stop with that like we were in Connemara man there were no Protestants like out that far back in the day like that was kind of the whole point of the whole thing but then like why were there big houses because it was 2015 man like surely if the cement is still wet there's no way like they were old landowners houses man Jesus did he spend the rest of the time talking about which of his local TDs had gotten planning permission for his auntie's conservatory? Yes! Oh my god, man, do you like have family in Wexford? Well, Carlo, but yeah. <laughs> no, it's, yeah, it's, it's weird. It is weird to think of like landowners, like yeah, Protestants, rich Protestants going home after being stationed away with the army going home and there being no place for them. Like yeah, people hating them for no reason other than they are who they are, like exactly the same way that they treated Anglo-Irish folks when they were in India. That that whole, do you feel sorry for them? Do you not feel sorry for them? Do you feel vengeful against them? It was this really mad mix of feelings, none of which were kind of explicitly called out in the book. It was just, yeah, really strange to have all that come up reading it. Yeah, and like in... I thought it was cool that like Jerry and May didn't have that reaction to Richard. Like they didn't, yeah, like we're reading and we're all like, oh, Protestants bad, colonial Britain bad. You know, you've got that chip in your brain that like gets activated. But like Jerry and May seem to like not. It's almost like they made like a decision to not be like that or something. They just do their thing. Like, and yeah, I think having them not do that kind of leaves you open to do it more for them kind of it was just yeah I thought it was class I thought it was a a cool idea to not have them be real into being Irish or being Indian or being anything that they were just yeah Jerry and May kind of yeah and and Richard is kind of the same and 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 again like he's not coming in as oh I am a Protestant person I was you know my my grandfather was a landowner here you know he's he's pretty you know every man about the whole thing too like and I just I feel like that did make the whole love triangle situation. Oh yeah there there, there is a, a love triangle situation folks. A downright necessary love triangle situation is what it is. True that real talk facts actual facts right here. <laughs> but yeah I feel like all that made the yeah the love triangle story way more believable because like we got to get to know these characters and see where and how they were separated from the events we were looking at in 1920 you know yeah like seeing how all that struggle back in the 20s and 30s was like way diluted by the time we get to Richard traveling to India like like we were talking earlier about how all the drama happening outside in the, the, the kind of 20s to 40s timeline at the beginning of the book kind of makes the, the really dramatic stuff happening way more believable. But then in the second half of the book, it's a lot quieter. It's a lot more kind of internal for folks. And I don't know, it, it just wasn't as urgent. And it just, I don't know, I, f- I felt like it just gave me a lot of space to kind of come to my own conclusions about like what I thought. Not, not that coming to conclusions, that kind of makes it sound like I know what I think about it and I have no idea um, but yeah, like you get to, I don't know, let those questions kind of settle in or something. Yeah, yeah. I was sort of, just as we're talking about it, I'm sort of like, was the beginning of the book really that, oh, do you know what? Yeah, the mutiny. Yeah, that is, that is pretty dramatic. Yeah. And like actual riots over actual Indian independence, man. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Plus like an actual tiger hunt. How have we not talked about that yet? Isn't it weird that like out of all the horrible things that you see happen, the tiger hunt is the is the one thing that like was straight away like, oh my God, that's completely unacceptable and inhuman. Everything else was kind of a weird shade of grey, but that was the one thing that was really like, hold the phone here, what he is even doing? Uh, like uh, seriously, like I mean, there were parts where like Michael and Rose are talking about, you know, Indians and how strange and like low class they are. And I was like, oh, I don't, I don't know how I feel about that. I don't like that at all. But then as soon as we're like talking about the colonel's polo ponies or like a tiger in the jungle being mistreated and you're all like, oh my God, these people are monsters. How could you? It's because we don't mistreat animals like that no more. But like people are out there like starving and it's like kind of our fault. So we don't want to think about it. Like I don't want to think about that. Makes me too sad. So, you know, what do I do? I watch Animal Hospital and I'm all like, oh, I'd never do that to a puppy. That bloke's a monster. I'm so much better than him. Why are you always so weird when I'm right? I'm smart too, okay? I'm the only one out of all you bitches that never failed no exam, okay? When we go and just recognise this. 
Yeah. Okay, okay. Ladies and gentlemen, we have it on air. That is absolutely correct. Chloe Cullen is the only member of this group who has never failed an exam to date. Saoirse Flannery failed calculus last semester. There, That's it. There we have it. I, I had food poisoning, you guys. I had exactly the same burger you had and I was fine. Just, it wasn't well. <laughs> oh, for oh, This show has felt very, very strange. Like, I feel like we haven't talked about, like, half of what the book is actually about. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I do think that, like, it's... Some of the issue is that the book is like disgracefully immersive. Like you're you're reading it and you're right there on this road carrying a parrot cage. You're like trying to get away from the heat in the wet canteen. You're you're in the doctor's house while the riot is going on outside. Like it's it's incredibly written. But like not in a I'm smarter than you like kind of way. Yeah, like I think that's kind of part of it. Like it's 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 one of those stories or like one of those styles that kind of just gets beamed directly into your brain. Exactly. Like when things are like real bad for Michael and Rawls like I felt like I was genuinely like like distressed like like not sad not like oh no what's gonna happen to him like like sort of we need to figure something out here there has to be a way out of this like I was involved <laughs> like I shouldn't laugh like I mean that was a horrible part of the story but but yeah like yeah you sort of felt desperate for them like like you say Chloe and I do think a lot of that has to do with like the it not being overtold like like you feel like they're holding back some of what they're really feeling, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then, like, you get to the second part of the book, book, <laughs> pretty much, like, straight away. And, like, everything is, like, so civilized. And you're sort of like, shit, like, did, did that even happen? Yeah, like, it's it's like you've almost woken up from this nightmare and you're, like, super confused for, like, a full five minutes before you're like, no, no, we're good. There, there are no knife-wielding maniacs here. Yet. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, yeah, I think we can all agree, like... Amazing, yes. Oh my god, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, in terms of um, Easter eggs, this this is quite the eggy book. It is the book equivalent of French toast. Nice. Oh, like the end with like all the callbacks. Oh, like like the tin, the para, a human doctor. I just can't. <laughs> but but, um, but actual Easter eggs, folks. From from our perspective, what what do we think? Uh, well, I personally would uh, like to go on metaphysical and throw WB Yeats in Ooh, as an old nice. Easter egg there. Like, go does back. Kavita know he's a total creep and is anyone going to tell <laughs> her? Oh, nice. Nice, nice, <laughs> nice, 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 nice. Anyone that does not get that reference should listen to our episode on Susan Lanigan's Lucy's War in uh, in our last series. For the Beyonce references alone. Like, like, true story, man, um, yeah. Did you watch Black is King yet, Katie? Uh, so uh, my Easter egg is, uh, is even more metaphysical than please. Um, um, but, but yeah, yeah. There's there's a there's a Monty Python sketch in there. No, there isn't. Yeah, there is. I wouldn't make that up, Chloe. What does the Spanish Inquisition have to do with this book? Uh, like, I genuinely cannot handle you. Like, what is what is your problem? I I want the string of jasmine. Asisha, I wanted that. <laughs> oh man. Um. Yeah. Okay. I want um the lace parasol then, not the gloves. Well, they start to go together, don't they? Fair uh, point. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think the Blue Hills deserve a mention. They, they genuinely sound oh, amazing. Yeah. Oh my god, I can't wait until we like can go places again. Like yeah. seriously. Yeah, I know. Like we should definitely like plan a trip or something when like we can actually travel again. And yeah. Stuff. Oh my god, that sounds like so much fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah that would be cool. <laughs> but in 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 the meantime, um, do you know what? We we've actually we've actually got to leave it there so that you know Elsie can edit this bitch and and finally get it online. Like, she is actually the worst, isn't she? Dude, like, what do you have to gain from, like, talking about her like that? That is an excellent point, Katie. Actually, yeah. Elsie is, yeah, she's she's so smart and, like, sexy and, like, not at all unfit. Like, at all. She can definitely go up the stairs without, like, getting out of breath and stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so on that note, Jesus Christ, we'll leave it there. Um, so yeah, The the Tainted by uh, Kavari Madhavan, um, published by Hope Road Publishing, um, who seem like super lovely people. Um, it's available at all good retailers, but particular shout out to uh, Chichulia Bookshop in uh, Westport, who've been retweeting about this show since we've started talking about it online. Um, so so yeah, let's, let's uh, go there. 
um, to to or to your local independent bookshop um, and and order that if you have not already. Um, we'll be back in two weeks with the next of our series on writers of color uh, with the Trouble with Rose by Amita Murray. Um, if you want to get a head start on reading it, um, so we can hang out and compare notes in two weeks, like get cracking let's do it um but yeah in the meantime you guys just continue being amazing we will uh, talk to you all then thanks a million for listening all right okay where is that link yes Sersha. yes <laughs> and we're back here at Dodoy, we've done some remote sensitivity counseling and we're here to let all our minority listeners know that we are incredibly sorry well it's ju- it's just me so i denise doyle I'm very sorry for my comments on our last episode. I take full responsibility and I'm here to listen and to learn. Not on this show though, because, you know, on this show, this is what you can expect. No, well like, why is it not okay for me to join an online class from the bathroom so long as I like have myself on mute? No, like seriously, I had a conversation with that guy for 10 whole minutes. That happened. Is he joining your nine o'clock class on Monday? Only one way to find out. You gotta tune in. Dadoy. Thursdays. <laughs>